Welcome to season four of Scrub Chat, a podcast of sharing stories by veterinary professionals for veterinary professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Kim Farina, a veterinarian, a writer. I've worked in the animal healthcare industry, and prior to that, I was an MTV journalist and a radio personality. So yes, my career has taken me in lots of different directions. In each episode of Scrub Chat, I sit down and chat with a veterinarian or technician so they can share their own directions and journeys, what's worked, what hasn't, and how they've made it all fit. Thank you for joining me as we explore veterinary medicine combined with all the other aspects of our lives. And we have a big thank you to Zoetis. Zoetis has generously created these podcasts to help support this incredible profession. Today, sitting with me on the Scrub Chat virtual couch is Paige Allen, a registered veterinary technician who is the Assistant Director for Academic Advising and Recruitment for Veterinary Nursing at Purdue University's College of Veterinary Medicine, and she is the current president of the North American Veterinary Community, NABC. So thank you for coming on the show. Well, thanks so much for having me, Kim. I'm excited to be here. Well, we are so happy that you are here. I feel extremely privileged that you're here for a whole bunch of reasons that we're going to talk about. But first of all, my understanding is, is that you are the second veterinary technician, only the second, to be president of NAVC in its entire history. That's huge. It is huge. And um, I often feel the weight of it on my shoulders, but yet also the privilege of being allowed to uh, or being able to participate in this organization. Um, Over the years, I've done a lot of different, I've been a part of a lot of different veterinary organizations, um, the Indiana Veterinary Technician Association. um, I was president of that twice and I'm still a member of that. Um, the Association of Veterinary Technician Educators, um, another great organization that uh, comprises all of the veterinary technician, veterinary nursing programs over the con- all over the country. Um, and I just really enjoy um, participating in that part of veterinary medicine and giving back to the community that has given back, given so much to me. You know, but Paige, you didn't just plop into this position. So, so I'm curious about the journey you took to land where you are as president of an ABC. Huh. So, you know, thinking back on, I I hate to say almost 34 years of being in the profession, uh, because I don't feel like I'm even 34 years old yet. Um, But, you know, I remember being a student and um, participating in our student chapter of NAVTA and and all of the... uh, the things that happened with NAVTA um, back in um, uh, back in the mid '80s, and then um, coming to Purdue and joining uh, the Indiana Veterinary Technician Association, um, being uh, holding several different offices in that organization. Um, being uh, part of the Association of Veterinary Technician Educators, doing uh, the newsletter for them um, and participating in that organization that represents, you know, a large number of the veterinary technology programs across the country. Um, And then, you know, so much of where my career has landed, Kim, is um, being in the right place at the right time and actually having an accidental conversation um, with someone, uh, uh, so the NAVC direct connection was, um, I got asked, I was, I ran into someone when I was down at, uh, the conference 
the NABC conference when it was still called that and talking with someone of another veterinary technician who was on the program chair for that. And she, the, the, the routine on that was, or how that worked was you were on a year as being trained. Then you had a year where you planned yourself. And then the third year you trained someone and the person she had been training to take over for her had a change in jobs and couldn't. And so she said, Hey, do you want to be program chair for the technician part of, of, uh, of NAVC. And I said, that sounds like a lot of fun. And so I got in the door and I was part of this group planning the program for the conference and fell in love with the organization and the energy and got to know various people on there. Um, Lynn uh, Harris being the, the president um, or the technician on the board at the time and just got to know people. And then when they were looking to bring another technician onto the board, um, she invited me to apply. Um, so, you know, serendipity, if that's the word you use or just uh, fate, I don't, I don't even know what word it is that, but being in the right place at the right time and not being afraid and, and not being afraid to say yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious because it, as you were just describing, organized veterinary medicine has been such a critical and key player in your career. And I'm wondering, did it have to be like, could you have taken, could you have landed in the same spot without all of that involvement in organized veterinary medicine? I don't think so, Kim. I think that the connections that you make the the people that you engage with at different meetings at different levels um uh you know the veterinary world is as you know super small right it doesn't take very long before we both realize that we know some of the same people um and so i think having those conversations building those relationships and i'm so i'm going to be super honest with you i am who i am um, I don't put on a face. I don't pretend to be someone else in a situation. And whether you have to edit this out, but I've been known to say shit in the sanctuary of my church because, you know, God knows who I am, whether I'm standing in the sanctuary or whether I'm home in my own, you know, in my bathroom, whatever. Um, and so I, the people I work with, when I say we have a new director coming here to Purdue and, uh, he was in our first uh, staff meeting last week and I started talking and I said something about shit. And, and then I went, Oh, sorry, Dr. Brown. And then I said, I am who I am. And everybody else on the zoom call just started laughing <laughs> because it, you know, and so being my authentic self, I guess all the time and having those conversations and building those relationships put you, put me in a place that offered me the opportunity to take this step. And I want to switch gears for a moment, but they're they're related because I'm curious about your position as assistant director for academic advising and recruitment. What do you do in that position? And and my other question is, like, who are the students who come through your door? Because we're talking about relationships and advising and kind of being in the right place at right time. So tell us about the position. And then what are you seeing? Who are you seeing come through your door? Yeah. Oh, great question. Um, and we could probably do a whole podcast on current students and what they look like and how, uh, how they are different than what I was as a student. But um, uh, so my job really entails, I have a, there's three of us who are academic advisors here at Purdue um, with our veterinary nursing program. And so we have, um, we have a veterinary nurse uh, distance learning program. 
we have and then an on-campus program that is the associate and the bachelor's. The distance learning is, is the associate only. Um, and so I have been a part of the vet tech or vet nursing program um, since uh, 1999 and helped create the veterinary nursing distance learning program. So my current job, though, I meet with students. I meet with prospective students. Um, I meet with their families. I talk to them about the curriculum and the the challenges of the profession. Um, I talk to them about the joys of the profession. Um, I, while I'm not a practicing registered vet tech anymore, I keep my license up, but I very rarely get to engage um, in the patient care side of things. Um, but uh, I love this profession. I love what we do and the impact we have on animals, our patients, on people's lives. Um, and so I share that with students. I also share um, the challenging sides of the profession, right? The euthanasias, the hard days when maybe a client isn't very nice to you. I talk to students about their mental health and this generation of students that are coming on board now. So we see traditional 18-year-olds coming out of high school into our on-campus program. Our distance learning program demographic is a little older. It's in the early 30s. Um, people usually who are working in private practice who want to become veterinary technicians but can't come to school. Um, but those 18-year-olds are already well aware of their own challenges with mental health. And a lot of them have tools in their toolkit already that I didn't have until I was older. And so they are not afraid to say, I struggle and I'm not afraid to use resources, which makes me extremely proud. And so um, they have a passion. A lot of them still have that have that passion of I want to be in this profession because I love animals. And I always say, well, it takes more than loving animals. You have to do science and math and you have to be able to work with people because there are people attached to those animals. So did I answer question one and question two in that rambliness? I think you did a wonderful job. You did. <laughs> I, I I have some I have some I have some other questions though, which is you mentioned that they are aware of their challenges. Mm -hmm. Sitting on the other side of the desk, so to speak, what challenges do you see that they're facing, and how should they overcome them, or are they the same? Maybe. Well, I think you know always the science and the math is a challenge for most of us, um, until you really delve into it and can apply it to your patient and make it apply to your life, right? Like I hated math in high school where it's the two trains on the track driving, one's driving 50 miles an hour and one's going 70 miles an hour and when are they gonna hit? And I'm like, this isn't reality, who cares? But if you talk to me about calculating a drug dosage for my patient that I'm gonna put under anesthesia, then it means something to me, right? But I think the challenge that I see, and and, and as you know, this applies to vet students also, is the, the financial implications of getting a degree and then being able to earn a living and pay back your student loans when you get out of school. And so I think that impacts all of veterinary medicine, DVMs, as well as veterinary technicians and veterinary nurses, um, is that ability to, to get your education so that you can be boarded, so that you can give um, amazing health care to your patients, but yet how do you pay the bills at the end of the day? And what advice do you tell them? <laughs> well, I first of all always tell them to follow their heart, right? There are, there are students who want to be in practice and that is their desire, but I talk to them a lot about the bachelor's degree and how here at Purdue, it's only two more semesters or one more year, and it opens doors in the pharmaceutical companies, it opens doors in research, it opens doors with the federal government. And so um, looking 
beyond working simply. And I hate to say it that way because I don't want to denigrate what the importance of working in a private practice. But, you know, I ended up with a, my associate, then a bachelor's, then a master's in education because of how my career ended up going. I would have never thought 30 years ago, this is where I would be. Um, but being able to see the opportunities. And at 18, sometimes it's hard to see what is my life going to look like in 20 years. And so I try to share that with them a little bit about you never know where your life is going to end up or what career, where your career is going to take you. What happens if at the age of 23, you lift that 100 pound dog and you, and, you, and you hurt your back to the point where you can't be in the profession anymore? What are you going to do? Mm -hmm. Right? So, you know, those struggles, you know, you asked me how, like, uh, when you asked me that question about um, uh, professional professional organizations, and while my job fulfills me, I think the greater fulfillment I get is from giving back to the profession. So advising these young students, being part of an organization that can give back to the community, that I can give back to the to other people, that I can help make us better as a whole. I want to talk more about the education that you were just talking about your degrees, because you have a master's degree in educational technology. You have a bachelor of science degree in business administration. So, and this is all in addition to your veterinary technician degree. So let's explore that more. Like, Give us more about why you pursued those degrees. So I'm always a little embarrassed to talk about, uh, uh, I started out in pre-vet, right? In South Dakota, at South Dakota State University, go Jackrabbits, and uh, did not have the grades needed, right, to get into vet school uh, or to even in a state that doesn't have a vet school. And so I really struggled between my freshman and sophomore year of college trying to figure out what am I going to do? How am I going to make this dream happen, of course, that I'd had since I was like third grade? And I got a flyer in the mail. So you have to remember, this was 1982-ish. I got a flyer in the mail for a vet tech program in my state. And I was like, wow, I've never heard of this. I have no idea what this is. But this looks like an amazing way to be a part of veterinary medicine that I can actually accomplish. And so, and not that my grades were super bad, but, you know, they were C's. So, you know, C, C equals degree. I hate to say that, but it is true, right? It's true. It's um, true. So, uh so I went to the, I went to National College. I got my associate um, of applied science and animal health technology because that's what it was called back then, and then went to work in private practice. And after about two years in private practice, I realized that it was not the challenge that I needed to be. I am one of those people that always needs a challenge of some sort to keep me um, engaged and motivated and excited. Um, and so I applied for and got this job at Purdue. Um, and came here and worked in the veterinary teaching hospital, um, in the large animal hospital, loving what I did, learning so much. And then um, as that, as and I, and I was single at the time, um, and so I was trying to figure out if I ever left Purdue, do I want to go back into general private practice? And I thought to myself, well, one of the things that they're always looking for in private practice is people willing to be in management. And so I thought the degree in, so there was no bachelor's in vet tech at that time. Um, and so I went to Indiana Business, or uh, sorry, Indiana Wesleyan, and they had what's called the Leadership Education for Adult Professionals. 
Um, and it was, uh, you did classes for six weeks here at a local hotel in their conference room. Every six weeks you changed. And I got my bachelor's in business administration because it made sense if I wanted to go be a practice manager that I would have this vet tech side and I would have this business side and those really meshed well together. So then it turned out that um, the director of central supply position was open here at the veterinary teaching hospital at Purdue. And so I applied for that. And because I had this bachelor's or was working on my bachelor's in business administration, I got hired for that position. I think that was part of the reason. So I did that for about three, three and a half years and then realized I didn't really like being the boss of people because people call in sick and then you have to deal with it. And, you know, um, and and I got recruited by Dr. Pete Bell to come down and work in the vet tech program as part of the, the creation of the distance learning program. And um, he, uh, Dr. Bill has um, a PhD in education. Um, and really inspired me to and encouraged me to do my master's in educational technology so that I would have some understanding of how to put together an educational program, some pedagogy, which is a word I hardly ever get to use, and it's one of my favorites, um, <laughs> you know, learning what that meant and learning how to write objectives, right? I don't know if you've ever done any education, but the word understand is not a word that you can measure someone's understanding, right? Right. And so uh, it was so much fun to go back and look at my original objectives in the first class I taught and go, they're horrible objectives I need to, you know. Um, so that's kind of how that evolved into um, uh and, and Dr. Bill was super supportive. Um, I chose to do a thesis because I knew I wasn't ever going to do a PhD, but I wanted that thesis experience because I don't know, I was on the crazy bus about that. <laughs> but it was amazing. It was a great, great experience. And I loved it. Well, you always like a challenge. Yes. So that's why. I mean, yeah. you just weren't, you weren't going to stop there. And, you know, speaking of challenges, I, I'm curious, you know, that you said you, you like having a challenge. Was there ever a cha a time in your life, even with patients, kind of like over the span of your career, maybe even, you know, we haven't really talked about the human animal bond, but have you ever experienced a challenge that was really difficult and has stayed with you? Yeah. Um, so you know, we all, we, we try not to get attached to our patients. We, uh, uh, we work really hard to take good care of them, but not get emotionally attached. And I think we all have that one or two or 10 patients that um, really impacted our life. And um, when I worked in large animal, uh, uh, I started as a food animal technician and then um, uh, moved into the anesthesia section. And so one of my responsibilities was, uh, getting horses ready for anesthesia. And we had this really great Arabian stallion, uh, beautiful, nice, not your typical want to kill you stallion. He was amazing. And um, he came to Purdue because he had squamous cell carcinoma on his sheath. And so three times a week, he had to be anesthetized to have radiation therapy. And so uh, he and I had this bond. I mean, I would go in the stall. It would be me by myself. I'd put a catheter in. I mean, I don't know many horses that I ever felt comfortable with nobody holding their head, nobody restraining them while I put a catheter in. I mean, he would just stand there and say, hey, Paige, what's going on? And, you know, we'd have our conversation. I put the catheter in and we'd take him to diagnostic imaging or radiology. He'd do, we'd anesthetize him, do his therapy. I'd recover him. <laughs> and so we did his uh, series of treatments and then we sent him home. And about six months later, he came back. Um, his squamous cell was not resolved. 
uh, or had re- recurred. And I had the privilege and honor of putting in his last catheter and uh, humanely euthanizing him. And, you know, I, uh, it, uh, as you can hear, 30 years later, I still get emotionally attached. I still think about him and it makes me cry a little bit. And now I'm going to have to do that, you know, the blow my nose and, and, uh, or at least wipe my eyes and do the ugly, you can see me doing the ugly cry. But, um, he was, he was really great. And he was a patient that I got super attached to. And again, I, I will say the honor and privilege of humanely putting, taking care of him so that he didn't have to suffer anymore. Yes. Yes. It's, yeah, we I we have those special patients that stay in our hearts forever. We do. Do you, Paige? Do you talk to your students about this this bond that happens, and either with a patient or just the human animal bond between, say, pet owner and uh, patient or pet? I should say. Is that part of the advising too? I think that when the situation arises, absolutely. We have those conversations about the challenges of veterinary medicine um, and being uh, uh, euthanizing uh, uh, or being a part of that euthanasia process and how it can take its toll on us as human beings. And um, uh, I try to help them acknowledge that it's okay to cry with the client. It's okay to be strong with the client. It's okay to be the emotion of whatever is there. Right. And I think that, you know, um, for me to uh, actually let a few tears go in what I consider a public forum is a difficult thing for me because um, many of us, myself included, tears are a sign of weakness. Right. And uh, so, I have to work at that to know that it's okay to share my emotions, to release those emotions and to talk about those challenges um, that we face every day. Um, So do I routinely talk to students about this? Probably not. When the situation arises or should the situation arise that it's appropriate to have that conversation with that particular student or say, is this something we should talk about in our class? Is this something we should talk about as a group? to normalize our emotions in veterinary medicine, right? How many years do we spend uh, uh, squashing those emotions? Because we, you have to compartmentalize, I did anyway, somewhat to um, sometimes survive the day, mm-hmm. right? To be able to, to push those emotions down until you can go someplace and, and deal with them later. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure that's always healthy, but I think I also want students to find their, their path, what works for them. And, and to find what I love to call or what I've heard called the uni- their unicorn business, or their unicorn practice, right? Where they fit in and it's okay to be who they are in that practice mm-hmm. and do their best. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes, obviously, we cry in times of sadness or grief and, and some memories, but we a lot of times can cry out of joy. And I'm curious, what... Because you, at the beginning of our chat, we you you said you talked about challenges and joys of the profession. Can you tell us about some of those really wonderful parts of your um, career of, uh, that brought joy? You, they might even include some of those accidental conversations that you told me about. 
Um, yeah, I, you know, I think back over the years and, um, you know, I think of the uh, cesarean sections I got to help with and that first breath of life, right? And um, uh, the fun with that and watching the first time a calf nurses or, you know, uh, uh, the joy on uh, a student's face when they hit that first catheter and they're like, oh my God, and the blood is, you know, going and they're like, oh my God. And I'm like, let off the vein and the blood will stop. <laughs> or, you know, so how weird, this is weird. The joy of when a student um, with a needle, so, you know, in a horse, in a jugular vein, you, um, you always put the needle down because if you hit the carotid artery, the blood squirts out. And the joy I would get when a student hits the carotid, because then they get to see, I mean, I know it's weird, but you know, it's a needle and you can pull it right out and it's okay. Right. But the joy I got when that would happen, because I would go, look, 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 because they don't always believe it. Sorry, I got super excited and high pitched. Um, but to watch it pulse out and realize that, oh my God, they made a mistake, but the world isn't going to end. And usually blood would be all over me because I'm standing in the spot where it squirts me in the face or whatever. And then their joy of, you know, they got to squirt blood in their teacher's face. Um, so, yeah, are we weird? We're weird in veterinary medicine, but I'm really okay with that. Um, oh, yes. It's, it makes us us. I know, right? You know? Um, or the, you know, really the, the, um, the pride, the, the, like the parental pride, I guess that's what I call it of when my students graduate. Right. And I know that they're going out in the world to make a difference and watching them go from first year veterinary nursing students where they don't know anything, um, to coming back from their practicum or their externship to how much they've grown and then how much they grow when I see them years later at conferences and to know that I was a small little piece of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, incredible. Well, some of our listeners are definitely early in their career. And I was curious, what are some of the things they're going to look forward to? What, what can they look forward to in their path ahead? Looking, looking back at your career, what do early career veterinarians have to look forward to in this beautiful profession that we are in? I really, the trend, and I don't know if this is really what you're asking, so redirect me if it's not, um, but I think about the younger generations of veterinary technicians and veterinarians as they are moving through their educational pathways that recognition, and even even students who have recently graduated, I, the the career shift from twenty four seven is your career to I am a human being who has a life and who has a family and who um, who who have figured out how to make that balance work. I still don't make that balance work very well. I talk to my students all the time about work-life balance and I suck at it. And, um, but it's because I think, so I didn't get married until late in life. So I was 42 before I got married. Um, and so my career has been my family. And so I think there's the, there it is. So we had, I had to verbally think through it, but there it is. The family that I have created that is not blood. All of the people that I have engaged with or that have become close friends or that I have mentored or that have mentored me have all become a part of my family that are, that are not blood. The people that I have chosen 
to uh, be a part of my life and who have graciously allowed me to be a part of their lives, right? Because it's a two-way street. Uh, so I think that looking back and recognizing in my small sphere of influence, the people I've influenced and the people that have influenced me and hopefully um, my epitaph is she did good. Oh, absolutely. Just in the time we've spent together, my goodness, you've done good exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, and one more exclamation point. My gosh, Paige. Yes. And it's kind of cool because I imagine some of those relationships cross paths because as we were talking about, you were in the right place at the right time and you just happened to strike up a conversation with someone and, and the bond was there, you know? Yeah. Yep, absolutely. I mean, I talk to students all the time about the importance of being in a professional organization and the networking and the relationships that you can build. And sometimes I think there's the eye roll and that's okay because I'll just keep saying it until yeah. it makes sense or until they do what they're going to do, right? <laughs> well, we are almost out of time, but I was just curious if, because I always like to ask this question to our guests, if you have any funny veterinary stories from the trenches you'd like to share with us. Now, you don't have to be hurt in the story. We've had plenty of those or something like you lost an arm or a, an eye or you doesn't have to do that. We don't have to go down that route, but anything that you'd like that might make us chuckle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, back to the large animal days and doing equine anesthesia is, again, probably one of my favorite stories that I tell students. Um, uh, so it, here at Purdue, uh, years ago when I was down in the hospital, I don't I don't know how different it is now, but we would anesthetize if we had a horse that needed radiographs. Um, a lot of times for wobblers. Um, so they would need cervical radiographs. They would have to be anesthetized. So we would anesthetize them in one room. We would put them on the flat cart. We would drive the flat cart down to radiology, do the radiographs, uh, move the horse back then to recovery. And so I was working on a, a yearling, so probably six or 800 pounds, somewhere in there. Um, and anesthesia went well, Every got the radiographs and we were moving him back to recovery. And I apparently got him a little lighter than I should have. And all of a sudden he sort of on this flat cart as we're moving down the breezeway, which is this big giant long hallway and wide, uh, it's where they do lameness exams. All of a sudden he started to sit up sternal and I said to myself, oh shit. So you're going to have to beep that out. Maybe I don't know. But I was like, oh my God, he's recovering right here. So we stopped the cart. We lowered it to the ground because it's about, I don't know, four or five inches off the ground, lowered <gasps> it to the ground. And I recovered him right there in the breezeway in front of everybody who could see instead of the <laughs> nice recovery stall. Ah, no. Oh, yeah. yeah. Paige, that is one for the books. Nobody got hurt. Everybody recovered just fine. But oh, yeah. You yeah. recovered him in the, oh my gosh, in the breezeway. I know what you're talking about. I, and you know, that area. Oh my gosh. That's funny. Yeah. Well, it was funny. It's funny know, now. It's funny now. Right. Funny At now. the time, a little nerve wracking. Well, and I think it's a really great, um, What's the word I want? Analogy for veterinary medicine, right? You plan and plan and plan. And when the plan doesn't work, you just do what you have to do to get it done. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That is so true. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a delight having you. Paige, you're so sweet. You're wonderful. So thank, thank you. you.
Thank you. Well, this wraps up another episode of Scrub Chat, a podcast of sharing stories by veterinary professionals for veterinary professionals. Please remember to visit VetVance at www.vetvance.com and check out Zoetta's Commitment to Veterinarians on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to get more information about life issues such as handling student debt, reducing stress, communication skills, and reputation management. VetVance is also available as a mobile app on both Apple and Android devices. If you have any questions or comments, please send us an email at scrubchat at zoetis.com. We would love to hear from you. And please don't forget to share and review this podcast so we can produce more in the future. We are grateful to Zoetis for the support. Until next time, I'm Dr. Kim Farina, and this is Scrub Chat.